we have not met yet, my name is Logan Bailey. I am the high school ministry coordinator and the young adult ministry coordinator here at Peace. Uh, my wife is Rachel Bailey. She is the community life director. And so if you have any questions about Peace Church, she is in the lobby every Sunday ready for questions. Just really with questions. That's what her job is. Um, I know that I speak for both of us when I say that it is a joy to be a part of this church family. And I just want to say thank you for the ways that you've loved Rachel and I and the way that you continue to love us. So uh, it's a joy to be with you uh, going through God's word this morning. So please open up your Bibles to chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. Uh, we are diving in this morning uh, to the last chapter of the book. This is the last message of the series. Um, as you're turning there, I wanted to talk about the significance of today. The significance of today. Uh, raise your hand if you, if you consider yourself a history buff in the room. All right, yes. I love it. Uh, so you should know this. Um, a little over 100 years ago, on this day, something incredible happened. Do you know what it was? You should. In the early 1900s, a French man, Frenchman uh, named Edward Newport was uh, beginning to work on racing planes. So not just building a plane that can fly, but building the plane that can go faster than all other planes. And this is what he was known for. This began uh, to become his life goal, his life work, what he was known for. And in 1911, June 26th, he did it. He did it. Over 100 years ago, as you remember, Edward Newport set the record for the fastest aircraft ever made. And of course, we've all heard of this. He went 83 miles per hour, and he made history. Edward died three months later in a plane crash, and his record was broken by someone else within a few months. So the sad truth about Edward Newport's uh, life accomplishment is that it is ultimately insignificant. That his achievement, though pretty cool, when compared to every other achievement of others, his record is simply unimportant. His 83-mile-an-hour record has almost entirely been forgotten. We can't even get the date right because historians haven't cared enough to keep thorough documentation on it. Edward Newport's life's work is hardly even a moment in our history. And his achievements in the end, this is the main point I'm bringing, is that it did nothing for him. Our achievements cannot deliver us. I don't know what Edward Newport had faith in. I don't know if he followed Jesus. I don't even know how he viewed his own achievements, but I do know that our achievements will not deliver us. Our achievements will not establish us or guard us against sin and death. Our achievements will not deliver us. So if our confidence is in what we can do, our hope will melt like snow on hot pavement. We could never achieve enough so what is worthy of our confidence? How about something that can deliver and establish and guard us? How about someone who is faithful to deliver? So today we're going to chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, and we're looking at how our confidence is in God's faithfulness because his deliverance is coming. So please follow along as I read Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why we go to the word. Let's read. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 
And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone else's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Let's pray together. Father Almighty, Father, we pray for you to bless our time this morning as we worship you, and we pray that you will orient our hearts and our minds towards you, Father. May the words that we remember today be words of you. Father, guide us. Jesus is our good shepherd. Guide us. And Holy Spirit, please speak through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you've been following along with us, we've been going through the book of 2 Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul. And so far, we've looked at three different ideas. If you have a notebook that you take sermon notes in, I hope I'm matching what you've written down. But here, here's what I've written down is what we've covered so far. In the first week, we looked at chapter 1, and we saw that because justice is coming, we can know that all will be made right. And then we looked at chapter 2, and we saw two things. First, we saw that when rebellion comes, truth will not be tolerated. And last week, we looked at how glory is coming, the glory of God is coming, and therefore we should stand firm. And today's main ideal, we're looking at chapter 3, and how our confidence is in God's faithfulness because his deliverance is coming. Chapter 3 comes on the heels of a prayer. If you remember, we ended chapter 2 reading a prayer of Paul's for the people in this church. And now he is shifting from praying for them to asking for prayer from them. Let's look at chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Pray for us. Pray for God's word to be proclaimed and honored. Isn't that our prayer this morning? For God's word to be proclaimed and honored. Pray for us. I think we know that we ought to pray with one another. We do it every Sunday. But this passage is reminding us that we're not just meant to pray with one another. We're meant to pray for one another. We're meant to pray for each other. And that's humbling to ask for. It is humbling to put yourself in a situation where you ask someone to pray for you. That requires you to be vulnerable. And there are things that we don't want to share. But that part of us that doesn't want to ask for prayer is pride. And it is a sad thing every time that we choose our pride over the Holy Spirit's conviction. It is hard 
to ask for prayer, but it is so good to ask for prayer, and we are meant to. We are meant to do that. Why should we pray for each other? Because the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. We see in this verse that the Lord is faithful to do three things. He is faithful to deliver, he is faithful to establish, and he is faithful to guard. God delivers us from sin and death according to the word of the Lord. God establishes our flourishing according to the word of the Lord. God guards us against evil according to the word of the, word of the Lord. God's word gives us the wisdom of God which protects us from a life that we weren't designed for and leads us by God's wisdom into a life of flourishing as he designed. That is for us. The Lord is faithful to deliver us, to establish us, and to guard us. And Paul's prayer request, request reminds us of where our help comes from. The mother bear and the bear cub is a beautiful image because the bear cub follows the mother. The builder submits to the blueprint. The student listens to the tutor. What do we do? What do we do? As the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. I don't know about you. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The image bearer of God receives deliverance from God. God is able and willing and has promised to remain faithful to his good and gracious and glorious plan to redeem all of creation. That includes us. Amen to that. Pray for us. Pray for us. Peace Church, pray for us. Pray for your staff, the staff of this church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the volunteers in our ministries. Pray for me. Ask those around you to pray for you. That is for us. We are not as strong as we think we are. And we are at our weakest when we refuse to ask for prayer from others. And we are at our strongest when we are eager to be prayed over. We are at our strongest when we are eager to be prayed over. May we, in our community, foster a culture of consistently praying for one another. Because the Lord is faithful and our confidence is in him. Going to verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Confidence in the Lord. You know the verse. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We have to have confidence in God. We must have confidence in God and the things that God does. What does God do? We just talked about it. God delivers. He delivers us from sin and death according to the word of the Lord. He establishes our flourishing according to the word of the Lord. And he guards us against evil according to the word of the Lord. He delivers us. What that means is that God unites us to himself without us. God does that without us. Jesus saves you without your help. Be encouraged this morning by the good news of Jesus Christ, that you don't achieve it, you receive it. You don't achieve anything to find hope in Christ. He does all of the work. Jesus paid it all. Be encouraged. Eternal life as God designed is yours if you're willing to receive it from him. And Christians in the room, remember, we are children of God. He has chosen you 
And you can't undo that. You can't undo that. That is why we are called to abide in him because by the blood of Christ, it's where we belong. So be encouraged. He delivers us. He also establishes us. Meaning, God enables us to live for him. So here, God works with us. The Holy Spirit works, walks with us. In theology, this is called sanctification. This is why the passage says, do the things that we command. Because after we are encouraged by the good news of Jesus, we should feel compelled to obey the Lord. After we are encouraged by the good news of Jesus, we should be compelled to obey the Lord. Because he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake and our good. He leads us to life as it should be. He invites us into life as he designed it. As the song says, my one comfort, by the Father's good decree, Jesus, you've delivered me. By your spirit, you set me free to follow you. By the Father's good decree, Jesus, you've delivered me. And by your spirit, you set me free to follow you. You've delivered me to follow you. So first, let's be encouraged by the good news of Jesus. We have to start there. In Jesus, we don't work for grace. We work from grace. He delivers us and he is faithful to continue to bring deliverance. And second, after we've been encouraged by the good news of Jesus, let's be compelled to obey the Lord. He establishes us by his Holy Spirit to walk in obedience like a man rescued from an inescapable pit and then set on the path home. Christ has rescued us and we are walking with him into renewed life. So what does Paul have to say about obedience? That's what the next 10 verses are all about, 6 through 12, or 6 through 15. And it's a mouthful, so let's prepare ourselves for the rest of the passage. But before I read these verses, um, I want to give you a picture to think about. This was written to a first century church. Paul has written this letter, and it would have been read aloud in its entirety before the congregation. So put yourself in the shoes of a Christian listening. Put yourself in the shoes of a Christian hearing the entire letter being read and you can hear people whispering around you, quietly trying to discuss what Paul is saying. You're listening intently as your church hears the letter that the Apostle Paul sent directly to your community. And so far in this letter, Paul has written about incredible things. He's written about the triumphant return of Christ. Paul has written about the faithful good works of the church the damning power of lies, the saving nature of truth, the magnificent glory of God and God's preservation of his church through his gospel. And after all of that, he ends with these words. This is the time for him to capitalize on all he said. And I have to be honest, when I was given this text to study, I was scratching my head at why Paul would choose these words to end on. So I'm really excited to go through it with you. Let's read. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. 
For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So after an entire letter of theologically weighty concepts and topics, Paul starts talking about something that feels insignificant. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. He starts talking about people without a job. Why would Paul spend so much ink addressing something that seems so inconsequential? And we have to conclude that it is consequential. I think this is relevant to everything else he wrote in the letter. Verse 11 shows us why he wrote it. For we hear... For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Paul is addressing a concern. Idleness. What is idleness? The Greek here for idleness means out of line. Out of line. So not simply being lazy, but being out of alignment. Not actually doing anything of value, just meddling in other people's business. Idleness is the act of failing to prioritize the right things. Idleness is the, is the act of failing to prioritize the right things. Someone who has disordered priorities. Because we all have the same 24 hours in a day. But we all fill it with what we prioritize. Idleness is when priorities are out of line. And the picture of idleness this morning, this is the picture of idleness a sponge. Think of a sponge. Imagine a sponge. The sponge is the picture of idleness because it never produces anything it only ever takes from others. This is why people say idle hands are dangerous because idleness sucks the life out of a community. Idle people are sponges on the community soaking up the hard work of others without gratitude. Do not think, do not think of someone who is less able-bodied than the average person. This verse is absolutely not talking about those of us who have a legitimate excuse to work less or be less active. This verse, these verses are pointing us towards those of us who, though they have the opportunity to serve others, choose less important things instead. The one who doesn't ever bring anything to the potluck doesn't help clean up or set up the potluck, and always complains about the food at the potluck. (laughs) A sponge, never contributing, always draining, and without any gratitude or desire to serve others. The example that Paul set when he was living in their community, they would remember this. The example that Paul set was appropriate priorities and practice, preaching the gospel and working for an income. And idle people are known for not caring about either. And so Paul says, keep away and warn. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Going to verse 12, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is not an endorsement of ostracism. Brotherly admonishment implies that there is a sincere connection that is unbroken but strained because something needs to be addressed. Something is wrong in the community. This is a call to not be intimately associated with idleness, as in do not agree with and follow the example of idle people. Do not let an idle person drag you down, meaning we are not meant, or we are meant, we are meant to help carry one another's burdens. We are meant to do that. We are not meant to carry all of a person's burdens. The image is of us being a group of travelers, helping each other travel as we follow Jesus. We are not meant to drag someone behind us. We are not meant to do that. The Lord says, don't do that. In the name of Jesus, don't do that. Do not enable unhealthy behavior and lifestyles. And remember, this is a verse, these are verses specifically addressing how Christians are to respond to Christians. And brothers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to encourage one another to do good as Paul is doing here. He says, do your work quietly. Earn your own living. Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. May the same encouragement be on our lips as we seek to address disordered priorities in our community and in our own lives. May that encouragement be on our hearts. Do not grow weary in doing good because we have a God who is faithful to deliver and he is calling us forward into flourishing. Do not grow weary in doing good. Why would Paul wait, spend so much ink addressing something that seems inconsequential? Because it is consequential. Idleness, idle people damage the cause of Christ in our community. Notice the one walking in idleness is not the person who does little. The person walking in idleness is the person that thinks little about the ways of Christ. The one walking in idleness is the one who thinks little about the ways of Christ. And by caring so little about the ways of Christ, he or she causes the community to become weary. In other words, idleness isn't just laziness. Idleness can look like a busy calendar. This is going to hit all of us. Just because you are busy doesn't mean you aren't idle in the eyes of God. Idleness is the rot of idolatry that disregards the priorities of Christ and can take many forms. This is hard. I fail in my priorities all the time. I fail to mow the lawn on time. I fail to do the dishes when I know it would be helpful to my wife. I make excuses to not serve others, even when serving others would be pretty easy. I need encouragement 
to not grow weary in doing good. I need encouragement to not grow weary in doing good. I need to be reminded that the Lord is faithful and he is always calling me forward. What about you? Do you know the faithfulness of God? Do you have the confidence in his deliverance? Then please do not grow weary in doing good. May we be encouraged this morning. May we be confident that this, this morning that the Lord is faithful and therefore let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in help to help in time of need. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace because the Lord is faithful. So in conclusion, we've looked at a couple of things in this passage. We've looked at the importance of asking for prayer from one another. We've looked at the faithfulness of God to deliver us. We've looked at the faithfulness of God to help us be more like Christ. And we've seen that by avoiding idleness, the importance of encouraging one another in the ways of Christ. And I think the best note to end on is, is just rereading verse 5. I love verse 5. If you have a Bible out, circle verse 5. Underline it. Highlight it. Maybe all three. Um, I think it's the best note to end on. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. He has united us to himself and he will continue to be faithful as he brings total renewal to all creation. God is faithful. Our faithfulness, our obedience is only ever as consistent as we are confident. Our faithfulness is only ever as consistent as we are confident in God's love and the steadfastness of Christ. So may the Lord direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So as a step of obedience to Christ, here's an application for all of us. This is for all of us. Here's a step of obedience. In the spirit of having confidence in God's faithfulness, may we all go home and do two things today. By the end of today, may we pray for someone and may we ask someone for prayer. May we pray for someone and may we ask someone for prayer. Our confidence is in God's faithfulness because he will deliver. His deliverance is coming. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and so faithful. Father, may we imitate you. May we find people in our lives that are imitating you, and may we imitate them. God, may we surround ourselves with people that compel us forward to obedience in the gospel. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. You have promised to be our God, and through your Son, you have made us yours. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray for our weeks ahead as we meditate further on your truth. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.